right, Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 18, guys, and we're going to read down to verse 21. It says this. It says, And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. But those who are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Church, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the revealed revelation of what you've given us in this book. Father God, even though we don't perfectly interpret it on our own sometimes, God, I, I thank you for the Holy Spirit that leads, guides, and directs us if we enter into this space with humility. God, so I just pray that your word would speak, God, in a mighty way. Speak into the spaces where we're at. Speak and challenge us and convict us into the spaces where we need it the most. Father God, most of all, let everything we do be for your glory and for your honor. God, hide us behind everything and let it be you that's seen most of all. Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So church, before we kind of move into... Um, and when we get into the fall, we're going to do a book study in the book of Numbers, which I know if you've done any Bible reading plans, that's typically where you fall off as you get into that portion of the Old Testament. But uh, I'm really excited about what that's going to have for us. To, but for the next couple of weeks, we're going to lean into a couple of different things. But uh, this morning, you know, I, I was praying about and kind of even navigating some situations in my own life. And you know, uh, this this word, and I think I mentioned something about this, you know, before, but. Thinking about the crowded space at which we live, mentally, physically, you know, emotionally, all these things. And, and I know we read that, that verse in Mark chapter 4, uh, verses 18 through 20. And, you know, as I was reading that, the, the, the words choke the word choke the word kind of stuck out to me. And, and, and really, in reading that, you know, if you read the whole parable, you know, you kind of see more context of what's happening there. But what he's talking about is he's talking about this seed. He's talking about these people that are among these, the, these different types of soil and within this particular type of soil that it is choked out, kind of the word or the work of God being kind of choked out by this overgrowth. And so I started to think about that in relation to our Christian life and in the life that we try to live as people. And, you know, we are surrounded by so many options. We're bombarded by instructions. And in the midst of all that, our responsibility, you think about yourself as a parent or as a spouse, you know, or, or as, a, as, a, as an employee or employer. In the midst of that, we have the, the, uh, to do to the best of our ability to carry out our responsibilities, to make good choices, to try to navigate this space that in reality, in your day-to-day, -day, in your everyday, is, is overgrown, Right? And so I, I kind of started to feel this idea of, like, as we navigate this, this idea of, of the, the voices that we hear. You know, and, and how do we navigate, how do we navigate, you know, imagining life kind of like a maze. And that's what it feels like a lot of times, right? Like, we're trying to figure out, like, what's the best direction that I take that isn't a dead end? And so, like, if, if, if life is like a maze, what's the best way to navigate that maze? Well, the best way and the unique thing about the Christian faith, 
for us, the best way to navigate that maze is to hear the voice of the one who created the maze, right? Speaking to us in the midst of it, navigating the way, telling us, take this turn, take this turn, go this way. No, that direction's a dead end. Don't go that way. Like, that's where for us as Christians, if we could hear the voice of the Creator, then we could know a little better how to navigate the spaces of life that we feel like we desperately need instruction. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm constantly praying to God about instruction on being the best husband that I can be, being the best father that I can be, being the best employee that I can be. Like trying to live in those spaces and be that as a Christian, as a person, like trying to carry those burdens. And a lot of times we find ourselves grasping at straws, trying to figure it out. And in a lot of ways, it's because like we read in the beginning, if we're missing something, if we're if we're having trouble hearing that voice of the creator guiding us and leading us, it's because we're hearing more than one voice. In our, in our hearts and in our minds and in our soul. We're being, we're being kind of overgrown like this verse was talking about, being overgrown that, that things are being choked out. And so this morning I kind of wanted to think about this idea of voices in a sense of like, how do we navigate the world we live in and differentiate, differentiate the voices that we're hearing to single out the voice of our Creator that is actively trying to speak to us? Actively trying to speak into our lives, lead, guide, and direct us in all things. Because that's what we desperately need. We need guidance. Even if we won't acknowledge it, we know we need it. We need direction. Even though by nature we're people that like to do things on our own, in our own strength, by our own ability, by our own willpower. We desperately need something outside of ourself for that. And so there's a couple of things that I want us to talk about this morning. And like, how do we navigate this crowded space? We're hearing multiple voices leading us to multiple different directions. We're praying, we're thinking, we're seeking answers, and we're trying to, to discern between what is right and what is not. Like, where should we be and what should we do? Like, should I do this? Should I, shouldn't I do this? Should I be here? Shouldn't I be here? Like, what does this look like? And that all begins with discerning the voices that we hear within our spirit that are telling us what we should, where we should be, and all those things. And so the first thing this morning, the kind of the thing that we need to approach in trying to, to discern these voices is to spend time, first off, the most important thing is learning the liar. The first thing this morning would be learning the liar because we can't know what those voices are, the source of those voices, until we can know the tone, per se, of those voices, right? Like, if you're a parent, you hear your kids speaking from another room, you know that's your child, right? You hear your parent call to you from another room, you know that's your parent because you recognize the voice, right? You know that voice, you know the tone, and you know that if they use your middle name, kids, if your parents use your middle name, you know you're in trouble, right? So you know, like, you, you recognize those things, and so the first thing that we have to do is for us and kind of the direction I wanted to lean in the beginning of this is learning the liar, like learning the voice of the liar. Like what is what is he speaking to us? And when I talk about liar, I'm referencing John chapter 8, 44, where we're, we're speaking of the enemy. We're speaking of the one whose name literally means adversary, the one actively working against us. The Bible says this about him in John chapter 8, verse 44. John chapter 8, verse 44. It says, you are of your father the devil. Speaking of mankind in their natural form. You are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand, and this is important, he does not stand in the truth. Because there is no trust, truth in him. 
When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. And so in reality, the voices that we hear in our spirit are leading us in one of two directions, one of lies and one of truth. That's just as simple as it is. There's only two, two destinations. There may be a lot of paths that bring us to that destination of lie or whatever it may be, but there is only two destinations in the sense of how we choose to step into our life, and it's one of truth or it's one of lies. There's no middle ground. There's no, there's no multiple ways to truth, as we'll figure that out lately, but there's multiple ways to lies. And so he tells us here in John chapter 8 that the enemy, whose name literally means adversary, is a liar. By nature, he's a liar. And that he, he draws you into his own desires. He draws you into those things that will lead God and direct you away from the truth about God. And so, you know, our task with the guidance of the Holy Spirit of God is weeding out the difference. And in a lot of ways, this is harder than it seems. We would think that it would be easy to kind of scuff out this adversary. We think that it would be easy to know the lies, differentiate, differ, dif I don't know why I'm having such a hard time with that word this morning. Discern, listen, that one's much easier for me to say. Discern between the voices of truth and the voices of lies. And we know that it's, it's hard because Paul even tells us that this is tough. He says, 2 Corinthians 11, 4, 14, he says, And no wonder, he says, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of lie. You know, there's something in that because the thing we need to understand is that he disguises himself, taking on a, a false form uh, from a, uh, to distract us or deter us. But the thing is, when we think of someone taking on a disguise, what is a disguise? A disguise is someone taking on the identity of some pre-existing identity, correct? And so the enemy isn't doing anything new. What he's doing is he's taking what's been and he's changing the way it looks, He's not creating something fresh. He's taking something that God has made that is beautiful and that is pure and that is holy and he's distorting it for his own good and for his own desires. And, and so in the midst of that, that's where we can have trouble navigating, discerning between truth and lies because the enemy, he's taking things and he's disguising them as good when in reality they're leading to lies. Because church, listen... Lying is his primary weapon, his primary tactic for deceit, and he makes what is he, he, he makes what is disobedient and destructive, he makes it palatable for us. He makes it even appetizing for us. And, and in reality, for any of us that have, have given ourselves over and navigate that day-to-day -day struggle with sin, if we give ourselves over to it, it's because, in a sense, we want it, right? Like there's this craving for it. There's this appetite for it. And the enemy knows that. And so he takes these things that God has created that are pure and holy and he distorts them and he even makes them appetizing for us in a sense where we want it. Like we think about it. Like if you've had any, any issues, I mean, I, I've had struggles in my own life that some of those things, like they don't leave your mind, right? That's why the Bible tells us to capture our thoughts because God knows that our thoughts are wicked, that our thoughts, they, we want to do things that are sinful. We want to do things that are self-indulgent. We want to do those things and lead in those ways because... We want it. And the enemy knows that. And he's created that space for us. Ephesians 2, 2, Paul says, in which, talking about your former self, he says, in which you once walked. You know, this is meant to be, especially as a Christian, there's meant to be a once walked. 
There's meant to be an old life. There's meant to be something that's behind us. And listen, the, the distance we have from that old life looks different from, for different people in their Christian walk. You know, like your, your old self may be a little closer to you than someone else's might be. And, and that's not necessarily time that, that changes that. But there has to be and is meant to be an old self. There's meant to be something behind us, whether it's right behind us or a mile behind us. It's meant to be behind us. But what the enemy does is he convinces us that those things aren't meant to be left behind. That those things are worth holding on to. And so there's these lies that he enters in. And so there's three things under this in learning the liar that I believe that we need to recognize and realize to differentiate, discern the voice of the enemy in our life. To know what's leading to truth and what's leading to lies. The first thing is this, is to understand that he tempts us toward ourself. And, and the Bible speaks many times about these situations. If you want to, you can turn to Genesis chapter 3 with me. If not, it'll be on the screen. But Genesis chapter 3 is the first time that we kind of see this start to play out in God's Word. And the way that the enemy does this, the way that we can know the enemy is speaking into lies is that he tempts us towards self. He tempts us towards what we want. And what does the enemy tell Eve in the Garden of Eden? Just, just such a, 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 a clear representation of the enemy and the way that he speaks to us. Because this happens to us. This happens to me. This happens to you in your day-to-day -day walk as you battle against sin and self. In verse, uh, in verse 1, it says this. He said, he said to the woman, talking about speaking to Eve, said, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Because remember what did God say? You can have of any tree in the garden except for this tree, right? Except for this tree. Don't eat of this tree, but you can have everything else. And so what did the enemy do? The enemy spoke into her life and he said, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And listen, the enemy knew. The enemy knew exactly what God told her not to do. And, I, and, I, and it's, it's funny how the enemy didn't mention that tree, but he mentioned it in a generality. Like, did God tell you that you couldn't have of any tree? And then so she responds like, no, I mean, he just said I couldn't have of this tree. Well, then the enemy continues on. And what does he say? He says, listen, you will surely not die. Like, this, that what he said, that's not going to happen to you. That you're not going to be negatively affected the way that God told you. He says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He says, so, and then we know, continuing on the story, so when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to, your, to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit. So listen, what is the enemy doing here? He's tempting towards self. What is he telling her? He says, listen, he says, first off, what did God tell you that you couldn't do? Well, then she kind of mentions it. And then he says, then he starts to backtrack and he starts to tempt her towards deceit. He starts to tempt her towards doubt, starts to tempt her towards fear. But what's the biggest thing that he's tempting her towards? And I think this is the thing that we navigate in Christian life and, and, and that the people around us, even the unsaved world is navigating is that we believe that God is withholding from us sometimes. And that's what the enemy says. He says, I mean, God's just trying to withhold something from you. He's withholding power and control and knowledge from you. But if you indulge in this, if you go against what God told you to, if you indulge in your own, I mean, what is it she said? I mean, it looked good. It looked like food. It looked like all the other things. And so in her mind, I try to put myself in that mindset and be like, you know, she's probably thinking like, I mean, it looks like everything else. I mean, surely if none of these others will, then this won't. 
But that's that seed of doubt that the enemy plants to point us towards ourselves. that I'm going to do what makes me happy. That God is withholding something that will better me. So that will make me feel good. That will make me feel satisfied. That will make me feel provided for. And so what do we do? We indulge. And what did Eve do? She indulged. And then the ripple starts from there. And then we, we constantly enter into these cycles of self-indulgence. So how do we discern the work of the enemy and the voice of the enemy? To understand that he tempts us towards self always. If our desire, if our mission, if our vision is for ourself always, for our own good, for our own success, for our own glory, for our own comfort, for our own, our own needs, it's probably not of God. It's probably the voice of the enemy leading us down that direction because the enemy tempts us towards self. God's withholding from you. God's, you know, the, the, because unless, listen, what do we say? The enemy always does. He always puts us in competition against each other. And that's how we begin to push people away. That's how we begin to get jealous of people. That's how we begin to bicker and fight with people because we believe that those people are in opposition to our success and our accomplishments. The enemy tempts us towards self. The second thing is this, is that the enemy attacks us at our comforts. You know, we see this in, uh, in Job chapter in Job chapter 1. You know, if, you, if you've been around church long enough, you know the story of Job. And, you know, this man, ex he, he had everything. He was successful. He, was, he had a big family. He had, he had a very comfortable life. And what does the enemy do? The second thing is this, is that he attacks us at our comforts. You know, Job was healthy, wealthy, and successful. And so, what did the enemy say in verse 6 of chapter 1? It was, this is what it says here. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan, who another name for Satan is adversary. The adversary was there. He also came along with them. And he said, you know, jumping into uh, chapter, chapter 2, verse 4, said, Then Satan answered and Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. What Satan said is he says that that man will give everything up for his comforts. I'm telling you, God, that man will give all of it up because the enemy understands that if he attacks us at our comforts, then we are likely. Because what are we most afraid of in our life? One of the things we fear more than anything else is losing our comforts, right? Losing our comforts, losing the things we have. We don't, you know, losing the ability that we have to do, the ability we have to run and gun, the ability we have to, to provide. You know, there, there's these fears that we have in that. And the enemy knows if he can attack us at our comforts, then there's a potential. Now, we know Job didn't. Job held strong. But there's a potential that we could turn away, that we could be led down that wrong path, hearing that voice attacking our comforts and go a different way. If he believes that he can attack us at our comforts to corrupt us, he will. So we can never let our comforts become the, the, the God of our life. The third thing is this. It's not only does he tempt us towards self or attack us at our comforts, but he alters our assurance. He will begin to alter our assurance. Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 says this. It says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan, who is the adversary or the accuser, standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is, it, is not this a brand plucked from the fire? 
I love that because, listen, the thing is, the Lord is reminding them that first off, that they, that they are in the face of the accuser, that the accuser stands. And, and I love how from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, this is what the enemy is called. He's called the accuser. He's constantly trying to accuse us like he did with Job. Like Job's going to let everything go because when you take, when you take all these things from, from him, he's going to give, give up you for his life, that he wants his life, that he wants his goods. You know, he's the accuser. You know, what does he accuse uh, uh, God of in the beginning with, uh, with Adam and Eve? He says, God's not going to do. You're not going to die. God's withholding. He's accusing God of withholding something from us. He's the accuser. And what does he do in our day-to-day -day life, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our shame, in the midst of our guilt, in the midst of our, our best attempts to disciple our children, to lead our children? What does he do? He leans into our life and he accuses us of not being good enough, of not knowing enough, of not being Christian enough. He accuses. That's all he does. That's his tactic. He lies. He's the father of lies. But I love in this moment here, when Zechariah is, is prophesying this, he says, this, the Lord rebukes. And what does the Lord say? He says, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem. The enemy attacks us, attacks us at our assurance and who God is to us and for us. He says, that the Lord who has chosen Jer Jerusalem rebuke you is not this a brand, what, plucked from the fire. Listen, not only are you chosen, but you're plucked from the source of destruction. You're pulled from that space. God reminding the people that you are chosen, that the people of God. So the New Testament Jerusalem is us. You know, we are the people of God now. The, 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 the holy priesthood set apart, meant to do good. God has said that. He has called us. He has chosen us. And it's at that assurance that the enemy attacks us and accuses us makes accusations about who we are and who we are before a holy God. Listen, and, and in the midst of all these things, you know, towards self, or the, the, the attack on our assurance, you know, God, he, I mean, the, the enemy, not only will use things outside of the church to distort this, but he will use the church to distort these things. God will use the church as a, I mean, the, the enemy will use the church as a way to speak, as a way to be a voice leading us away from truth. And he does that. He does that. You know, if, 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 if the teaching at a church leads us to self, leads us to self-glorification, if the teaching leads us to, to focus on our comforts rather than confrontation, you know, to not, I want to be comfortable, so I'm going to move away from the truth that I know God has told me because I want to feel safe, I want to feel comfortable rather than confrontational, or a, 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 a message that teaches us that there's this work that we have to do to gain acceptance by God knocking away at our assurance, then that's, that's, that's also a vessel of the enemy, a voice of the enemy being spoken in our life even under the label of church. That lies can be present in the local church today. And it's there. And it's rampant. And it's the world we live in. And we know that if we're being led by lies, 1 Thessalonians, I love this verse, 1 Thessalonians 3, 5, it says, For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for the fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Listen, if we are being led by lies, if we're being led by lies, then our work's in vain. If we're being led and driven by, by the voice of the enemy, we will not find with our families, with our marriages, with our kids, that work, it will never find good footing. 
like it'll constantly feel like we're just we're missing something because the, the lie is, is, is only partial truth it's, it's a distorted truth it's a disguised truth so it'll never it'll never give us what we truly need to navigate life and so the, the last thing is this not only do we need to spend time learning the liar but the main thing is this the second thing is this church and I'll end here that we need to take hold of the truth take hold of the truth and in a world where truth is variable where, where truth the, the world hates absolutes the world hates absolutes hates absolute authorities it, ha it hates absolute truth it hates absolute instructions it likes flexibility and fluidity it hates absolutes but church we believe and we, we, we understand and acknowledge that God has given us absolute truth and absolute truth speaks to absolute obedience and holiness and things that, that He has called us to. And so for us, the first thing we have to understand in taking hold of the truth is what is the source of truth? There are not multiple sources of truth. You know, there may be multiple sources of lies, but there is not a multiple source of truth. Jesus tells us in John chapter 14, verse 6, He says, Jesus said to him, I am the way. He says, and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way of truth, and that's in Christ Jesus. There's only one door that we walk through to find truth, and that's Christ. There is no other path of truth. There is no other way to find truth. There is no other direction. There is no other instruction. There is no other source of truth except Christ Jesus. All that is good and true come through Christ Jesus. And in that, in that, is the only place where we find the true footing and the tr true freedom that we're desperately seeking after. John chapter 8, verse 32. He says, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's only in Christ Jesus. It's only in the voice of God speaking to us through His Word and through Christ Jesus where we find true freedom. And that's what we want. We want freedom. We want the ability to move without the restraints of shame, without the restraints of burden, without the burden and the, the, the oppression of our sin. We only find that in Jesus. We'll never find that in anything else. We'll never find that in, in acceptance. We'll never find that in self-indulgence. We'll never find that in the lies that the enemy has disguised to look like truth except in the truth found through Christ Jesus. John chapter 10, verse 1 through 3. It says, truly, and, and I want you to go back and read this again later. John chapter 10, the whole chapter really. Read that whole chapter, but John chapter 10, verse 1 through 3. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door climbs in by another way climbs in by another way. That man, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters through by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. What is, I love that portion of this verse. He says, uh, the one who enters the sheepfold that does not enter the sheepfold by the door climbs in by another way. 
And listen, that is that multiple ways of entry that the lies tell us. That there is another way. That it doesn't have to look like this. And listen, I'm not talking about being spiritually put into a box. But what I am telling us is the direction and the life that God has called us to have. There is a path. There is a way. And He tells us, listen, the one who climbs in by another way, who's climbing in the back window, who's climbing up through the skylight, who's climbing up uh, the lattice to the balcony. Whoever still has lattices up, I don't, I don't know if any of you have, you know, still, I know that's kind of an old thing, but, you know, who's climbing in by another way. The Bible says he's a thief. He's a robber. He's not coming in to bring you anything or to lead you anywhere. He's coming to take from you. He's coming to rob you of something, rob you of joy. Listen, he may give you a moment of happiness, but he's going to rob you of joy. He may give you a moment of satisfaction, but he's going to rob you of your identity. Because if he comes in another way, he's a thief and a robber. But if he comes in through the door, he doesn't come to take. But what does it say he comes to do? The first thing he does is you hear the sheep hear his voice. Through that door, you discern the voice of the one that we need to hear. And it says the sheep hear his voice. And not only do we hear his voice, but he calls his own sheep by what? He doesn't just say sheep. He doesn't just say, come here sheep, and just expect all of them to come. And in custom in this time, as strange as it might seem, which I think we do this with our animals too, they gave their sheep names. The shepherds would name their sheep so that they would have a unique like, communication with them. What does it say for us? He says he calls his sheep by name. You give something a name, you love it, right? If you, if you, have, a, if you have a pig you're intending to slaughter, you're probably not going to give it a name, right? And maybe you do. I don't know. Maybe you're messed up like that. I, that would, if I was eating Phil or whoever my pig was, that would, I would feel weird. My kids probably would be scarred from that. But if you're going to slaughter something, you're not going to give it a name in most situations. But by giving something a name, you're eliciting value. You're eliciting it being a part of something. And that's what he says. He calls his sheep by name, individualized. That's what comes through the door. That's what comes through the right way. That's what truth brings. Truth brings true identity. Truth brings true acceptance. And what, not only that, but he doesn't come to give, I mean, to take something from us, but he comes to give something. He says he will lead them out. He will give us direction. He will show us the right way to go in the midst of this maze of life as we desperately try to figure out where to go and what to do. The enemy, uh, God says, come this way, you, mine, my son, my daughter, by name. Come this way. I will lead you. I will show you how to be that parent you've prayed to be. I will show you how to be that husband or wife that you've prayed to be. I'll show you. And I don't know about you, but man, I'm nobody on my own. I, don't, I, I spend more time anxiously trying to figure out what's the right thing to do. That if I lived on my own, if I lived on my own, I'd be a mess. I would, I would, I, it would be a catastrophe. I know who I was before Christ. And even now, like, I'm, I mess up and still desperately have to lean. But if I was that guy, I mean, let's just, my wife has a lot of patience. She put up with a lot of mess from me. And if I was still that guy, even, and I'm still jacked up, but if I was still that guy, I would, I would not, 
I would not be winning. I'm like, I, and not that I'm totally winning now, but like just praising God for His direction in the midst of our lives when we lean in and just acknowledge, acknowledge to ourselves the truth of what God's trying to do and what He intends to do and what He's been doing. You know, and, and then I love, and then I'm going to end here. I know I say that like constantly. We're like, a, if I say circling the plane, like if we were circling my plane, we'd be running out of jet fuel and we'd be crashing. But let's just imagine it's got an infinite amount of fuel right now. But... When I think about the voice of God, a lot of times I, I think back to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. And it's, it's a pretty, pretty common verse, something you've heard before. If you've ever heard that, you know, in different versions say it differently, but that still small voice. You know, when I read that and when I think about that, you know, I would always think about, and even my version calls it a whisper in, uh, in verse 12. But when I think about that, you know, I, I would... A lot of times imagining it like this petite, like this, you know, I'm like, it's, it's a whisper, you know, so we got to like, you know, we've got to really listen. We've really got to lean in. And so, you know, when I read this, you know, the verse goes like this. And he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord is talking to Elijah, says, and when the Lord, behold, the Lord passed by in a great and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke into pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake and after the earthquake a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire and after the fire. The sound of a low whisper. You know, or, or a still small voice, that's maybe some versions say. You know, and, and I started to think about that, and I was like, man, this is, you know, it says it's not in the strong wind, it's not in the earthquake, it's not in the fire, but the sound of a low whisper or a still small voice. You know, and a lot of times we read that and we think to ourselves, you know, uh, uh, people who whisper, that whisper, it's like it's, it's fear or doubt. But then I started to think about that in a sense of like with all this going on, you know, that for us, if, if I'm, you know, we're somewhere some, doing something that's really loud, like we're screaming to be heard, right? It's like I'm desperately trying to be heard, trying to break through in all the noise. But for me, when I read this verse, I, I definitely don't see this as like this weakness or this doubt or this fear or this apprehension. But in reality, I think this is a, a speaking to the truth of confidence and composure and control that God has in the midst of all the chaos, and that I think there's a reason why the voice of God wasn't speaking through these other things, you know, because wind, think about wind, wind is unseen and it's unattainable. Like I can't grab a hold of wind. And not only that, but earthquakes happen because of shifting and unpredictable foundations. And then a fire, a fire is a consumer. It's led by its appetite. And so, but where does the voice of God speak? The voice of God speaks in a confident, calm, composed voice. I don't, I don't have to raise my voice. I, don't, I can tell all these things to halt and to stop. But God says He works in the midst of that. He doesn't work in the fire that is led by its, that is led by its appetite. It's not the, the earthquake that is shifting foundations. It's not in the wind that's unattainable because God is attainable. That God's foundations are strong and that God isn't driven by an appetite for anything to keep growing itself. God is precise. God is satisfied. God doesn't need anything from me. So the fact that he invites me into what he's doing, that he loves me, that he has invited me to be a part of this family of God, isn't because he needs something from me. But it's in the grace of our holy God that he is secure and confident and controlled 
And that it's, the point is that it's, it, it's, not, it's not the quietness that we focus on in this verse, but it's that it is composed amongst the chaos because he is, control, is in control. And so for us, how do we, in these last three things, how do we take hold of and keep hold of truth? How do we take hold of and keep hold of truth? The first thing is this, abide in him. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, he says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word source of truth. If you abide in my words, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Church, we abide in God. Stay with God. Even when we question, even when we doubt, even when we're having struggles, even when we're trying to figure out life, we stay in God. The second thing is this, stay confident in Him because we know the, the beautiful thing about God's revealed word is that He has told us how the story ends. Now even though we live in the, amongst the chapters right now, God God has told us how the story ends. Revelation 12, uh, verse 10 through 11 says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb, by Jesus Christ, and by the word of, our, of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. He says, listen, listen, the end of the story is victory. And so there's a confidence that we stand in in our Christian life, no matter what shakes around us, no matter what changes in the world around us. Because listen, if you don't already know, the world around us is changing rapidly and it is not going back. It is not going back to how it used to be, how people used to act. It's going to continue to progress forward. It's going to continue to be anti-Christian. It's going to continue to press in around us. And the confidence we have to stand in is we have to stand in the confidence of the victory that God has promised in His revealed Word. That we take hold of the good of the gospel in His Word and hold on to it. And the third thing is this. We abide in Him, stand confident in Him. And the third thing is this, find truth in Him. Because remember, as Revelation 12 tells us, He is the deceiver of the whole world. The truth is our confidence. The only voice that truly matters is the voice of truth in our lives. And that absolute truth won't always sit well with other people. But it is absolute and it is the voice of God speaking into that space. Because even when there is chaos, it's the only voice that never fades and never changes. And so as a worship team comes up, and we'll end with, with, uh, with some, uh, a moment of worship and prayer this morning. But the challenge is this, church, for us, is to find truth and live in that truth. To find truth and live in that truth. And we find it and we hold on to it by abiding in Him, standing confident and confidently in Him, and finding truth in Him. And so for us, if we find truth, we live in truth, we begin to hear the voice that leads us to that truth. The last thing in my main challenge is that you know, I like to challenge us with something. is to share that voice. That when you've heard the voice, share the voice. Because God has chosen us to be the bullhorn of His voice. He's chosen us to be the amplification of His interventions. To, to use us to tell people. To be the voice for others. God's people were always meant. I mean, most of the Old Testament is, is people being voices for the voice of God. Communicating something to a group of people. One man or one person communicating what God is saying or doing. Even though we don't have prophets on this side of, the, of, of, of grace, there is still a work to be done for all of us to be these vessels of the voice of God. 
because in, in, amidst all the voices, all the, the voices leading us towards lies, it is our responsibility to make the voice of God and His truth the loudest and the clearest. Listen, and that's most evident, most needed in our students, in your kids. And listen, the thing that we have to stop telling ourselves, the thing that we have to stop telling ourselves about our kids is that, you know, a lot of times we hold back because we hold back from telling them about God or really challenging them in God because we don't feel like they can know everything about Him or that they, 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 that, that, or that even you don't know everything about Him. So it's like, I, you know, I'm afraid to really push my kids too much in their faith because I don't feel like they can know everything and then I don't know everything, so how can I tell them? But listen, the thing about it is this. Listen, I don't know how electricity works. I totally, like, I don't completely understand it, but I know that if I turn on a light switch, that the electricity will happen, right? That there will be a result from it. Listen, I don't know everything about it, but I know what will happen when I flip a light switch. Listen, I don't know everything about God, but I can be confident that if I tell my children about God, that good things will happen, that God will do a work, that God will not give up. That, that, that God will lead them. If I lead them to God, if I lead them to the well to drink, that God will provide. Listen, they can't know everything. They can't know everything about God. But they can know something about God. They can know that Christ came and died for their sins, for the wrong things that they've done, so that they don't have to live under the shame of them, so that they don't have to be robbed of the life that God intends for them to have, that God will forgive them, that God will provide a way for them in the midst of life's worst struggles. They can't know everything, but they can know something. And you know what? And this is something I have had to learn in my own life that maybe the way they start to know something about God is by knowing something about how much God means to you. Think about it. Maybe the most they know about God is how much God means to you. Just knowing that, man, God must be great because my mom and dad love Him. They love God. They talk about God. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But they talk about Him enough that He must be great. Maybe that's all they know about God. I think we can accomplish that. Let's just not hide it. Let's not be afraid to share it. Let's not be afraid to be challenged in it, in our faith, in what we say, in how we lead, in how we love. Maybe our spouse needs that. Maybe our spouse doesn't know much about God. Maybe they don't even believe in God. But they can know something about God by knowing how much God means to you. our kids will learn. People will learn what we mean about God by knowing what He means to us. So let's not be afraid to let that be known. And to be the voice. Be the voice of God in our family. Be the voice of God uh, in the things that you're involved in, in your rec teams, in, in, in school, in your job, at dance, at cheerleading, whatever it might be. Be the voice of God in that space. Letting someone know something about God by knowing that He means something to you. So let us, if you would, stand with me and let us pray together and just ask God to just challenge us in these things this morning. 
Help us to differentiate the voices that are constantly speaking to us, to help us to know the truth, to lead, live towards the truth, run towards the truth, and to know that that truth is only found in Christ Jesus, not in myself and not in anything lesser than that. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the goodness of your word. God, we thank you that you give us the opportunity as broken, sinful man to come before you. And that, Lord, the work that we do and the life that we live is to be lived and to be spent pursuing you, not ourself, not our own brokenness. God, not being weighed down by the shame of the deceit and the lies of the enemy, but God, leaning towards you. And God, I'm so thankful that you tell us to come. To come to you. Come in all our brokenness. Come in all our sin. Come in all our lack of knowledge, our doubts, or our fears. Father God, you tell us to come. Father God, I pray this morning that you would just continue to grow us, lead us towards spaces of repentance where we acknowledge, Father God, we need your forgiveness. Lord, lead us in directions where we understand we desperately need your saving. Lord, for the Christians this morning that desperately are just in need of, of renewal in you. God, I pray you grant that and I pray we seek that in confidence this morning. Lord, we love you. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name.